Hello and welcome to the LCS Health Services Division podcast. I'm your host for today, Tony Galvan, Director of Health and Wellness for Life Care Services. Uh, and with me today, I have a couple of gentlemen uh, from Third Eye. Um, LCS, um, for the last year or so, um, has been looking a little bit more um, into telehealth, telemedicine solutions. Um, we feel it's important to really start thinking about kind of that intersection between technology um, and healthcare uh, and really how it's going to benefit um, first and foremost our residents and our patients, but certainly um, our communities as well. So um, as we look to expose our communities um, to what's out there from a telemedicine, telehealth perspective, we feel it's important to hear a little bit um, from some of our um, preferred and identified partners um, that we have in this space. So I'm really excited um, to welcome Dan um, Herbstman, um, CEO and co-founder of Third Eye. How are, you, how are you doing today, Dan? Great, Tony. Excited to be here and to chat about uh, telehealth with you today. Great. Um, and we also have Ray George, um, Vice President of Growth and Strategy for Third Eye. How's it going, Ray? Hey, great, Tony. Thanks for having us. Almost called you George. <laughs> I, <laughs> it, it happened. It's happened before. It wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. <laughs> Despite my better efforts there. So um, really appreciate you guys um, taking a little bit of time and just um, hanging out with me. Um, we're in your offices uh, here in downtown Chicago, so that worked out um, conveniently. So um a lot of different angles and directions that that we can go with this conversation. Um, and, and I think the great news is that um, in terms of our partnership with you guys, we're really looking forward to throughout the course of the year um, providing um, webinar opportunities, um, ongoing educational opportunities for corporate leadership um, and community folks to just really understand the value proposition of having um, telemedicine solutions in place. So I think that's great. So I think for the purposes of today, we can really get away with maybe keeping it a little bit more um, high level as far as our conversation goes. So, so specifically, um, where, where I wanted to start was e even just that 30,000 foot view of when people think about telemedicine, telehealth. I mean, you have these terms that are in many ways interchangeable. Um, I think it's it's fairly difficult uh, for people to just make sense of all of what's out there and, and what filters can I apply just to even start understanding what does this mean, how to apply it to, to my specific situation. So um, in, in, your, in your mind, when you think about almost the hierarchy and even, I guess, like the the org chart of telemedicine and some of these solutions for our listeners, um, how would you sort of break down some of this terminology um, just to help start making sense of it all? Yeah, it was funny. I was on a, a panel discussion about what is telehealth. It went back maybe a couple of years ago, and we pointed at audience members and asked them to define telehealth versus telemedicine. And we heard 10 audience members and probably 20 different definitions of what it is. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, it can mean a million things. So how I always think about it is at the highest level, I think of the umbrella being telehealth. And that can be really any delivery of um, any type of service through any technology. So a patient or a nurse on one side many times and then a physician or any type of healthcare provider on the other side. And then where we kind of focus is um, – and that could be through as you know as, as that could be through a telephone that could be through live video technology that could be recording and storing something for a later use and then when we think of our aspect it's under that big telehealth umbrella we're really focused in um, the telemedicine aspect so delivering really medical services through telehealth although sometimes people use our platform for delivering um, clinical social work or other types of related services and then where we've kind of developed is really in almost that live telemedicine visit is where we focus. So we've created a 
super simple technology that's about a one button push integrates into the electronic health record. And so a nurse can walk in nurse or CNA or any type of provider can walk into a resident or, or patient's room, hit one button, and then they have a physician available on the other side. And so what we usually see, and then that person is able to do a live video visit, the ability to store some things like send a picture for analysis later, and also be able to access electronic health record to really be able to look at all the information out there. When you all, when you both think about like the evolution of, again, this technology, I mean, telemedicine, and I think with a lot of things senior living in healthcare, it's not like they just came out a year or two ago. In many ways, some of these things have been around for decades, right? Arguably. And it's just for whatever reason, you know, we're paying a little bit more attention to them now. So what's been your sense on the evolution of something like telehealth and telemedicine? And when you think about your solution in particular, um, how that maybe, you know, brings some of those things together that ultimately lands you on that sort of product and form factor? Yeah, I think we're you know we we think of the most basic telemedicine tool as being the the telephone that's been around forever. Physicians have been available, other healthcare providers on the other side, and then just if we go back maybe the last like ten plus years, we started to see telehealth carts come into play, starting really in hospitals, but going out from there. And the way we think about these are are kind of big bulky devices. They have the latest in telecommunication equipment and they also have um, medical devices like stethoscopes and other other medical peripherals on them. And they would be available sometimes uh, starting in the hospital. They were really useful tools for doing a lot of things where there wouldn't be a specialist available as an example. So a small community hospital could access a neurologist through a system like that and treat much higher level stroke care. And then we saw some of that technology start to proliferate out. And so when we think about the history of sort of skilled nursing, senior care, and seeing some of these tools, these were really the first things that got got wheeled into places. And they were taken almost from the hospital and then put into the skilled nursing facility. So where we have seen a good evolution over the last few years is ourselves and, and some other companies are really focused on changing the form factor of the whole thing, taking what was that big bulky cart and turning it to be something that could be used on the devices that we all carry in our pockets. So really be used on a smartphone or tablet, trying to take all that functionality, making it into really just a very simple, easy to use app and and doing all the things that those traditional telehealth carts could do. And then just trying to integrate much more deeply into the into the workflow of places so that the 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 um the electronic health record could be viewed remotely very easily at the same time. So you started bringing it up, Dan, with um, you started mentioning senior living there and obviously in that skilled nursing setting, right, where it's just a little bit more clinical. Um, and I think when people consider, again, that intersection of um, healthcare and technology, it's almost what care setting am I gravitating towards, right? Are we, are we talking hospitals here? Are we talking senior living and in particular skilled nursing facilities? So talk a little bit more about that, how you've seen, um, again, telemedicine in particular uh, and senior living sort of co-evolve and, and kind of bringing us to where we are today with, with both of these areas. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I think we, we've seen those those technologies that were developed in, um, and done more for higher acuity patients in the hospital. They've started to proliferate out a little bit into the um, into the um, more the skilled nursing space, I'd say, where those patients are going now. They're still thinking more of the patients that are there for, for short-term care that are leaving the hospital and everything. We're seeing from 
kind of things that we're doing and other innovation, that, that technology has been more simple, more for a use case there. On totally the, the opposite side, we see companies like uh, Teladoc or American Well or others that have really built nice networks of primary care doctors. They've also created some simple technologies and our, ourselves and others are, are probably seeing this in our, our own insurance plan as we have access to, you know, sort of the sniffle type visit that we could take rather than go into an urgent care or make an appointment with our doctor, we can uh, do that through telehealth through some of those technologies. And so where we kind of see things in the senior living is almost those things coming a little bit from from both sides. Some of those more convenience primary care things are starting to come into senior living. At the same time, some of the kind of work we're doing is coming in through the skilled nursing facility side. Once, once it's in and it's really in the way we're thinking about it at first, it's like, enabling a nurse at the bedside in the skilled nursing facility to, to help um, through the access to a remote doctor and all the tools that come with, they can now do some more advanced interventions guided by the doctor rather than sending that patient out to the hospital, which is what traditionally was done. Now they can do things like um, under the guidance of a physician, really treat symptoms of things like exacerbations of COPD or treat fevers early on, treat infections. And by doing very simple things, the doctor can guide them to do that. And I think where we see this evolving probably next is as the assisted living population gets a little bit sicker and a little bit higher acuity, especially where there are care providers or or wellness nurses or others who might be available during the day or, or even during off hours, we could see them starting to take some of this technology. It could be a way for them to provide you know, where they can from a regulatory perspective because they always have to be careful about what medical care can truly be given in those settings versus not. We're in skilled nursing. They can do a lot more. We're sort of seeing in our own customer base more, more demand from assisted living and then because so many folks are on the other side from the, I'll call them the teledoc type of folks of the world, seeing more of that interest in primary care, we're sort of seeing almost this merger where assisted living and independent living, we could start to see some more of those things that treat less high acuity type of things and things that are more common or everyday things that are just more convenient to have in your bedside rather than go off to the, to the, to the doctor. And it's kind of seeing those trends merge a little bit. So we'll, we'll talk about the regulatory environment a little bit deeper, um, but but since you sort of brought it up, um, when you think about kind of the why, uh, why is this getting so much attention? And again, even though it's been around for, for years, if not decades, um, it's it, people are just paying a lot more attention to it. Certainly we are. Uh, and so do, do you feel like it's because of the regulatory environment um, amongst other things? Or what what do you feel like is prompting this urge and this sort of, you know, tech boom, if you will, within senior living and, and how your organization is playing a part in that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we go back like five or six years now, um, hospitals uh, were under, um, started getting readmission penalties if patients came back in the first 30 days after discharge. You, many times they were in skilled nursing facilities. Um, they they would, they, if they were sent back to hospitals, didn't get re- don't get reimbursed for any of that care. And if they're worse than the national average, they can get some major penalties. So what we started to see forming and, and really trying to take shape now over the last few years that we've been a company is that the hospital systems are organizing their preferred network of skilled nursing facilities, and they're really managing those folks very tightly on trying to do everything possible to treat patients in place and not to send them back to the hospital. And so when we first, going back a couple of years ago, we started to see that trend as a reason um, senior care and skilled nursing providers started to use us. And then last October, for the first time, the value-based purchasing penalty started so that skilled nursing facilities 
were penalized themselves the same ways that hospitals had been for a number of years for those penalties. And that could be as much as 2% of overall Medicare payments could be taken away from the facilities. So it's almost been like a, a very interesting evolution where we're seeing all these senior care organizations interested because the hospital system is saying, if you want to be part of our preferred partner network, we really have to work closely on high quality, only sending back patients when necessary then skilled nursing getting penalized themselves for that. And now when we look ahead a little bit to the new payment system that's happening there, um, patient the patient-driven payment model, PDPM, even more the incentives are lining up where the hospital and the skilled nursing side are, are even are even getting closer. So the ICD-10 type codes are looking at acuity episodes that's been around in the hospital for a while. Starting this coming October are going to be how Medicare patients are looked at and sniffs. And then it's really the, the, the groups that are going to be able to, we think, thrive and truly grow in that environment are folks that can really partner closely with the hospitals, take as high acuity patients as hosp- as possible, and then really try to manage them them in place. And so coming back to telehealth to enable a lot of it, one of the biggest challenges in that environment has been um, while there's great primary care many times in the skilled nursing facility, there's great availability of physicians and nursing staff during the day, there just hasn't been great availability on nights and weekends. And so when we see like sort of this first evolution of things happening, really what's driving kind of our businesses, we can provide access to a physician through a super simple technology Usually in just two minutes, a physician gets back. They're up and awake all night, and they're available to really work closely with the patient. They have that emergency medicine background or hospitalist background with an understanding of um, an understanding of the post-acute patient that they've been through a lot of training and how to treat through telehealth. So what they're able to do is do almost everything through technology that traditionally just had to be done, sending the patient to the emergency department. And the tired primary care physician that took care of them during the day that was called sometimes in the middle of the night, difficult for them to manage that patient like through through telephone. Now there's a dedicated doctor that can really do that. And then a really good process of communicating through technology to all the folks necessary. So the health system knows what happened with, with the patient if they have to go out to the hospital. The primary care doctors get really great information on what happened with that patient. Everything's available to the usually the director of nursing or the staff in the nursing home so they can do all the management the next day. So, you know, what, what's interesting, I think, in, in hearing you describe that, and this is kind of the, the essence of, of doing um, a podcast and, and recording sound, um, I, I wanted you to start getting into a little bit of kind of that visual description, right? Just so where we began this conversation is sort of when people think about telehealth, telemedicine, what comes to mind? And you talked a little bit about some of the form factors. So um, let, let's segue into that a little bit. Um, if, if somebody were to ask you, so so what is Third Eye? You know, what, what is Third Eye and what is your telemedicine solution? And again, and you've started um, kind of weaving that in. Um, but for the listeners out there, if you could give them that visual. Um, and again, we'll be doing webinars down the road where the visuals will be there. But um, this will be a good exercise for, for Dan and, uh, uh, and Ray to, uh, to visually describe, again, what, what the solution is about. Perfect. Yeah. It was hard to hold back from describing our solution. So I, I tried a little bit, but then I then I gave up and just started describing it. No, but but um the the way we think about our company is it's almost like we're like we're two companies in in one. It's a um we're we're a technology company that's really focused on simplifying and simplifying telehealth technology to the point that it's just a button push or two. And we focused on the component of trying to do everything on those traditional old telemedicine carts, do it all from a, a simple app-based solution. And the other side, we've developed out a um, of our own physician group and small nursing team. We have about 70 physicians now and, and, and five key care 
coordination nurses. And so we're just a kind of a combination of that technology with the physician practice. So the, the best way I think to think about us is um, – is we we usually when we work with a with a senior care or skilled nursing home facility we have a, a tablet usually it's an iPad mini or something small that a nurse can hold in their hand they they have that available to them um, to walk into a, a a patient or a residence room they can walk in they really push one button on the third eye tablet. During the day, many times the person on the other side might be their medical director or some uh, some providers they have that um, that will respond. They can do uh, respond, get an alert on their own smartphone, and really do a, a live video visit, look at the patient's record and everything. And then at night, what one of the things we found is to supplement that group, we have our physician team available. So then when they push that orange button, usually after 7 p.m. or usually throughout a whole long weekend from Friday night to to Monday morning, they'll get a physician available who's just uh, their physician. Almost think of them like their house doctor. Usually, when we usually we think about a facility having just five to six doctors, so the staff gets to know them, the community really gets to know them well, and the long-term residents get to know them. And they're available in two minutes. They're there to do a live video visit. They have a bunch of tools that the nurse can use. They can use a stethoscope. The doctor can remotely listen to the patient's heart and lungs, and they can help guide that nurse through the interventions that they think will help keep the patient in place. And because they're ER doctors, if they feel like, you know, in that specific center, the capabilities, um, you know, are, are better spent sending someone off to the hospital, they'll make that decision also. But then if they if they do take a, um, say a patient falls out of, out of, um, falls and it was um and it was it was um and 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 they determined they probably don't have a head injury what they may do is go through a whole process of doing the initial video exam like the like the like the doctor would in the um emergency department when they arrive and do neuro checks and that whole process and then they'll be checking back in pretty consistently throughout the night and making sure the nursing staff is comfortable managing them in place and and um, and that and and then and then if they're not, they can be the ones who help send them out to the hospital, or they can really do that and then transfer them over to the primary care physician that may come back or the nursing staff when they come back during the day. And, and that's been kind of the, the core of our overall system. And then think about our doctor finishing their their shift. Usually, it's it's seven in the morning. They've written all their clinical notes. Those have been automatically transmitted to the to the community's electronic health records, so they're available for everybody. Our doctors will many times then sign out to a nurse on our team. That nurse will write a quick sign out through technology that will go to the nursing staff at the center, the primary care doctor, and sometimes the health system if they've subscribed to it. Especially if our doctors have done something with, with the patients, they'll, they'll get all that information. And then um, they, our nurses are always available during the days for questions. And many Occasionally they'll join like a morning meeting at a facility if they want to talk about a patient. Um, and if anyone wants to access their doctors, they can during the day to ask questions about things that happen. And it's an incredible cycle. At the end of the day, our nurse checks back in through technology and tries to get almost like a hot list of patients or residents that could be at risk, maybe someone who just early signs or symptoms of of something so that our doctor can see them and start that process all over again. So over time, we've tried to become much more proactive about those video visits and try to try to see everybody, including all the new um, admissions or intakes that come in that day, our, our doctors will see. And that's really been our kind of our core service, the combination of the easy technology along with that 24-7 provider group. And then we'll work really closely with the um, the attending physicians and others who want to see their own patients using our technology so that they're able to do that also. 
So when when you think about again, I mean, hearing you describe that, you know, certainly incredible kind of theoretical value behind that, and you know, it's it's, it's interesting, um, you know, the number of communities or skilled nursing facilities that you know may or may not be incentivized to kind of get on board, and I feel like it's such a large educational curve that really needs to take place for people to understand what that value proposition is, and almost like what's going to motivate them to implement this change because it, it is a little bit of change. Any sort of integration technology uh, in any, again, senior living setting is going to present, you know, a, a degree of change. And whether that's operational, whether that's, again, even policy and procedural, whatever it might be. And so when you both think about, you know, here's here's why you want to do this, like here's, here's the value proposition to you. Um, and, and if you want to think about that in terms of even different audiences, right? Like what's in it for the clinical team, you know, what's in it for the families, for the residents or patients themselves. And even when you think about from a from a financial component, you know, you started talking a little bit about, you know, reimbursement um, penalties and whatnot. So what would be like your top five, if you will, um, kind of reasons for why a community, a skilled nursing facility would want to get on board with something like this? Yeah. So I think, you know, I think in it's in uh, sort of the most simple, I guess, really the most simple way to think about it is, you know, within two minutes, um, you can now be connected to one of our physicians. So, you know, there was a study that came out. I think it was a couple of weeks ago out of University of Pennsylvania, where something like 10% of all patients in skilled nursing facilities don't see a physician at all uh, within their f- first 30 days. Um, so as you know, Dan said, we do a lot as far as proactive care. So uh, we try to see every newly admitted patient in every one of our facilities on, on the skilled nursing side. Um, so we do you know, what's called about a, what we call a mini HMP, which is about a 15 or 20 minute visit with each patient. So if you think about on a Friday, if a new patient comes in and they don't have their medication or they don't have enough medication to make it through the weekend, we can, you know, we can bridge that script um, to, to help them make it through the weekend. Um, so you know, just that uh, immediate access to a licensed you know, physician uh, in that state uh, within two minutes is, of course, such high value. Uh, one of the things we didn't talk about was is um, you know our family communication. So uh, something that we do uh, regularly and we train all of our buildings to to work with us on is if a, if a, a family member has been um, you know moved into one of your facilities and and. Uh, uh, you know, there's uh, you know, the mom or the dad's in the building, and then uh, the family is not too excited about that family member being uh, in the facility, thinks they should be in the hospital. We encourage uh, staff to, again, press that, that big orange button and uh, contact one of our physicians who will be there to have a live video conversation with uh, the family member if they're in the building. If they're not in the building, if they're in a different state, uh, our physicians will give their cell phone numbers and have uh, that communication with a family member saying, it's okay, you know, your, your mom and your dad or mom and your dad should should be here. It's okay. We're, we're watching them throughout the evening. If something happens, you know, we'll, we'll be sure to, to, to take care of them or send them back to the hospital if, if need be. Um, uh, and, you know, and, and then really as far as, um, uh, you know, as, as I think Dan had, had mentioned before, one of the things that we take very seriously is just making sure there aren't gaps in communication or gaps in care. Um, so I think, you know, we've seen in the past where, uh, you know, the communication between if there is a telehealth uh, vendor or partner, uh, you know, there are there are just care gaps or where, um, you know, something wasn't documented. All of our physicians at the end of uh, their shift uh, complete all of their notes. Those notes then uh, are a part of the progress notes inside of the, the EHR. Uh, and so we r- really work hard at eliminating care gaps through documentation and then just through our care coordination team that uh, communicates both inside of the building and then also on the hospital side as well. 
So it sounds like that, you know, the quality of care, kind of that patient satisfaction, like, like that's why, right? Again, if somebody were to ask you why, you know, why, why telemedicine first and foremost, and then specifically why third eye, uh, those would be some you, of the That's some of the things. I mean, the, yeah. the most overt thing, of course, is reducing return to hospital. So we have a really... Uh, good track record. So we have 260 customers today. Uh, we're seeing about an average uh, of 25% uh, reduction per uh, per facility uh, as far as re- uh, returning patients back to the hospital. Um, so, you know, that, that of course, is the biggest driver, as Dana mentioned, with the value-based penalties that are now in place. Um, so as far as, you know, as we look at a, a f- uh, kind of from a financial perspective, from a return on investment, um, the way in which we price our system, we see a positive ROI if we can prevent one patient being unnecessarily re- <clears throat> readmitted back into the hospital per month. <clears throat> We're usually seeing about a 3x ROI with, with all of our customers. And I think that's oh sorry I think that's, no, that's yeah. such a, such an interesting point because um, I think that it's the quality of care that gets people really excited at, at, at first and it's so great to be able to provide that hospital level care on the off hours when the primary care doctors aren't going to necessarily be in the building and then um, and then it, and then that financial incentive is re, is really I think super helpful so like Ray said it's just that one reduction in one. Um, one transfer to the hospital is um, is able to really pay for the program, and anything beyond that is usually a good return on investment. We're sort of in a state with telehealth where only in rural areas can we actually get direct reimbursement from the insurers and Medicare and Medicaid for it. So it's so important to have that positive return on investment and make sure it's done understanding the community's specific data and everything to, to do that. And I think once people start to see that in action, it's been really exciting to actually see that financial savings also fall through to, to the bottom line. Yeah. And, and then I would say the last real driver is just in um, – uh, employee retention and satisfaction. So the fact that we come in, we start our shift at 7 p.m. We end it at 7 a.m. and then we work all weekend. Uh, we have some very large physician groups, some very large nurse practitioner groups who use us not only to help provide you know, better care, uh, but also to to um, help with their uh, employee retention. And um, it's been we've had great results in that, in that way. Is there anything else that either of you are maybe seeing or, or, or would feel comfortable even forecasting, um, even just from like a reimbursement perspective? Again, there's regulations coming out all of the time, and there's, again, either specific components or subcomponents of telehealth, you know, that maybe are starting to look at, be, look at being covered. Uh, and, uh, you know, that to me would be like a big floodgate, you know, if and when it were to open, uh, you know, for, again, components of what you guys are putting out there to be to be covered by, you know, things like Medicare. Or Medicare, or even other private insurances. What, if anything, are you guys seeing in that space? Yeah, you, there's probably there's so much news, and I think different things happening there. Probably the most, um, well, it, maybe even like a baseline to think about is today. There's um, a small group of telehealth services that are covered just in rural or underserved areas. And that's been everything from behavioral health to the types of visits that that our physicians are doing. These sort of urgent care visits on through to things like advanced care planning and other things. And so what we're sort of seeing is a little bit of a trend is um, in some of those areas that rural restriction is getting removed so that Medicare, Medicaid, and then usually private insurers follow after that will start to reimburse for additional services. So big one this past year was um, remote patient monitoring that for the first time is approved. So a remote physician being able to interpret some ongoing um on ongoing um, patient monitoring tools all the way from the vital signs to EKGs and other things is coming. So that's been exciting. 
it's also been exciting to see that probably some of those other barriers will break down in other services and they'll be reimbursed across the board. Uh, just a few weeks ago, the Medicare Advantage rules got finalized for 2020. So in 2020, for the first time, Medicare Advantage plans will be able to offer telehealth um, benefits pretty broadly and be able to use the Medicare federal dollars to pay for that. So that's probably going to pave the way. We're talking to a lot of Medicare Advantage plans now about um, getting um, reimbursement for, for our services, not just in those rural areas we could already, but in some of those uh, urban areas. And then there's there's great bills that are going through Congress. The, the biggest one that we've been um, ourselves, and we really um, partnered with um, – ACA, the, the for-profit nursing home association, um, le- leading age also, also um, AMDA, the big uh, long-term care physician group, ourselves and a bunch of other health, telehealth vendors, we've all gotten together and are really pushing something called the RUSH Act, which is uh, focused on reducing rehospitalizations in skilled nursing facilities. And it would it would allow for payment uh, for the types of services we're providing. What would be great about that would be we'd be able to really charge a fee just for the technology and use of that and all our physician visits and the physician visits for um, the current physicians in the space would be reimbursed directly by by the payers. And it could be something that allows a, a broader a broader set of communities to do this. They're, in addition to the positive return on investment we talked about, it could it could broaden it quite a bit. And so um, we've been talking back and forth. It looks like in the next probably less than a month, the newest version of that bill is going to be in the Senate and there's gonna they're gonna they're gonna start debate. And it's it's always impossible to predict when when that would come through, but it's looking you know positive over the next few years that there'll be some bigger changes like that. Well, thank you both, Dan and Ray, for your time today. It was a great conversation. Uh, The purpose was really just to give a high-level overview, um, get you guys reintroduced uh, to some of our listeners out there, and really to preview some of the upcoming educational opportunities that we have coming up. Uh, We'll be doing a series of webinars uh, throughout the course of the year where um, listeners and um, um, organizational folks can get more of a feel for um, what you guys have to offer and the value of getting you implemented in some of our communities. So uh, thank you both once again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Legal disclaimer, Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast. Mm-hmm.